Unless otherwise indicated, Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised. Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Before we get started, I just want to remind y'all that they literally, I I, I just couldn't stop thinking about it. (laughs) The fact that these rich parents in the Dominican Republic who have tons of things to do and who are sitting down with the literal drug lord at a table that's long, a 50-person table, and and they got their kids there and music's playing and everything's nice. These highfalutin, rich-ass people have their children who seem to be between the ages of 7 and maybe 10 Because, you know, CJ got in a fight with one and beat the shit out of him. They have their children in a motherfucking fight club. The reason why I'm really thinking about that is because they're rich. And their children are also rich. And you would think, you know, Polo or... I wonder what happened to that nigga. Polo or... Soccer, you know, club soccer or, 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 or AAU basketball or football or tennis or golf or archery or fencing. But they began a fight club. And because one of them got beat up by CJ and just couldn't handle it. If y'all don't know nothing about that song, just, you know, look it up, look it up, um, I don't remember the name of the group, so good luck. Um, <laughs> I just can't handle it. They're the same group that made, I like the way, the kissing game. Um, yeah, whatever. Anyhow, this kid got beat up so bad that his dad was like, yo, um, you got to replace my kid with some other kid. This is like, Literally, the storyline from Snatch, except with kids. And instead of Bricktop being there, he's a horrible cunt he is. I can't do a, a British accent, but he, the definition of nemesis, watch Snatch. Matter of fact, listen to the episode of Hindsight where we talk about Snatch. Um, but instead of Bricktop, there's um, Estes. And instead of Turkish, there's Estes. 
And instead of uh, the guy who got knocked out by um, Brad Pitt, there's CJ. So let's see what happens next, shall we? Chapter 7. Oh my god. It's not too often that I open up a chapter and the first words just make me wince. Not since they talked about um, Breeze's wound. Oh my God, that was so bad. (sighs) Anyhow, wound. Chapter 7. I mean, chapter 7. Mo felt like a caged bird. As he sat on the cot, looking up through the skylight above him. I'm like a bird. I want to fly away. Mo felt like a caged bird. He wondered why the caged bird sung because he didn't feel like singing. These are not their words, but it feels like they could be right. Took me like 30 seconds to not even think of that. Took me like three seconds to think of that, which is how I know that these books should be getting written much quicker than they are. He was grateful for that window. Not every bunk had one, and it reminded him of the light he had to look forward to at the end of this dark tunnel. Bars. The next few years of his life, the most influential ones, will be spent inside. No mama, no daddy. He will be raised among the wolves. The lap of luxury that he was supposed to inherit had been toppled, and instead he was now a gutter rat, just trying to fight for his piece of something. Anything that would help him get through the worst time of his life. The juvenile detention center tried hard to disguise itself as something other than prison. Bunks were only locked at night, and the boys had privileges that they earned until they gave them a reason to have them revoked. To a boy who came from a kingdom, no amount of privileges would make this feel like anything other than it was. Captivity. Mo sat up abruptly as another kid walked into the room. He was heavy set. His stomach was round and tested the buttons of his blue uniform. His hair was long and unruly. Mo noticed a black eye that was now turning green as it healed on his face. Damn, that had to hurt. He's dark as hell and that bruise is even darker, Mo thought. Colorism. Can't stop, won't stop. <laughs> the kid didn't speak. In fact, he kept his head down as if Mo wasn't even in the room. Cool with me, Mo thought. Mo didn't have anything inside. Everything had to be purchased, and with no one looking out for him on the outside, he knew he would have to come up with a plan. Three boys entered their cell and circled around his roommate. What up, fat boy? Your mama came and stacked up your account today. Let's go shopping, the kid said. Mo said nothing. He was silent as he waited to see what his roommate's reaction would be. It wasn't hard to see he was intimidated, and Mo quickly did that math knowing that the black eye had come from this crew. Nah, man, she didn't. She couldn't afford it this time, his roommate replied. Well, you gotta pay me something. Fuck you got up in here, the boy asked, rifling through his roommate's things as if they were his own. Anger flooded Mo. He had a temper, and Mo wasn't too fond of bullies. But if his roommate wasn't gonna stand up for himself, Mo felt like it wasn't his place to intervene. All you got is books, nigga. You a fat motherfucker, but you ain't stupid, huh? Soft ass. The boy mumbled as his sidekicks laughed. One of them even going so far as to push the roommate down on his cot. The loudmouth kid moved over to Mo's side of the room. Nah, man. Ain't shit this way for you, Mo said. What? The kid challenged as he got in Mo's face. 
I ain't stutter, Moe stood. He was always down to shoot a fair one. He had the heart of a lion inside of him, and once challenged, there was no backing down. What do we have here, gentlemen? The woman that walked into the cell interrupted the confrontation before I could even get started. Do I need to write up some infractions? I know those books must have fallen on her own, right? The blonde woman asked as she looked around the room, searching for answers. Monroe Diamond, you want to tell me what's going on here? The lady asked. Mo didn't speak. He wasn't into snitching. He didn't need anybody to come to his defense. The woman grew frustrated and pointed towards the door. If you're not assigned to this bunk, make your way out, she demanded. I'ma get you, the kid said. You know where to find me, Mo answered. Hostility was in the air. Here's your package. These are the only things you'll be given in here. Everything else going forward must be purchased. You can remove your clothing and place them in here after you remove the uniform and essentials that are inside, the woman informed. Mo nodded and took the burlap bag she extended. Before she left the room, she said, Stay out of trouble. Nigga, you literally just heard them threatening one another. Stay out of trouble. For real? Word? Okay. He didn't respond because he knew the troll would come looking for him. When he was alone with his roommate, Mo bent down and helped the kid pick up his belongings. Why you let him dog you like that? He asked. That's Roach. Okay. He's on B block with the rest of the 14 to 16 year olds. Everybody pay for peace in here. You either let him spend on your commissary or have a problem with him. The roommate responded. You scared him or something? He need them niggas behind him because he can't stand on his own. You got to stand up to him and he'll stop fucking with you. Mo said. Ain't no standing up to Roach. Last one to try got caught in the mess and ended up with 30 stitches. Roach split him from ear to ear, the roommate replied. He knows who to try that shit with, Mo replied as he shook his head in disbelief. Hey man, what's your name? I'm Joey, the kid said. Mo, he replied as he handed him the books and stood to his feet. Your last name is Diamond? Like for real? The kid asked, intrigued. Most people were never allowed to get close to the family, and their name rang so loudly in Miami that many people claimed affiliation without even being part of the family at all. Yeah, Mo replied casually. Damn, man, your family's made. I ain't trying to spread that around like that, though. So that's between you and me, Mo said. You got it, Joey responded. Nigga, and unbutton your shit, Mo said. Ain't nothing wrong with being a big boy, but at least be fly with your shit. Joey laughed as he unbuttoned the uniform shirt and let his white t-shirt show through. There you go, big boy, Mo said with a smirk. Next time the niggas press you, you get them up off you too. Don't bitch out. You got them on sides alone. Gotta put some heart up in you. Them niggas ain't gonna be walking up in here like that own shit. This half my shit too. Mo tapped Joey's chest in encouragement and then changed out of his clothes. He kicked back on his cot. Yo, you mind if I borrow one of them books? I'm drying here. Mo said, referring to his lack of personal belongings. Yeah, man, you good, Joey said. He reached into a stash and tossed Mo the autobiography of Malcolm X. Man, this is like a school book. You don't got nothing good, Mo asked. That is good. It makes you think. Try it, Joey said. Mo knew beggars couldn't be choosers, so he nodded and put the book under his pillow for later use. He wished he had gotten paired with someone who wasn't so weak. But then again, he had to be grateful because it could also be worse. At least with Joey, Mo wouldn't have to sleep with one eye open.
Word spread overnight that Mo was the son of the infamous Monroe Diamond. By morning, every kid in his unit walked by his bunk just to peek inside. Who the fuck told? Who told? Like, seriously, it must have been Roach, I guess. Roach told the kids in his age group, I guess. I don't know, because he told Joey not to tell nobody. Yo, Joey, what up, boy? A slim kid greeted as he sauntered into their bunk. Joey wore a perplexed look as he slapped hands with the kid. What's up, he replied. Just stopping through the show, love. What up, man, he said to Mo. Mo nodded in acknowledgement. Make sure you check me on the yard during wreck. We got a game going on the hoop court, Joey. Bring your man through, the kid said. Yeah, okay, Joey replied, his eyebrows raised in utter confusion as the boy left just as quickly as he had came. So what is this, baby Oz? Like, I don't know. I've never been to a juvenile detention facility. I really want to go to one, now that I'm an adult. <laughs> it isn't like they could fucking leave me there. But I really want to go to one just to talk with the kids and, you know, see where their minds are at and see if there's anything I can do to help. Um, but I just picture in my mind that it's not like this. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it is. You don't even know that nigga, do you? Mo asked with a laugh. No, Joey responded. The thirst is real, though. That's a fifth dude that's coming here to chop it up with me today. I've been in here for six months and I had this many people speak to me the whole time. Bro, this shit wild. You got them going crazy like you're the pretty girl at school and they trying to shoot they shot. Joey was in stitches as he laughed jovially. I told you not to say nothing to nobody, Mo said. It wasn't me. Rotra's boys must have spread word. He heard your name yesterday and everybody in Miami know there's only one diamond family, Joey stated. You crazy for not wanting people to know anyway. Nigga showing you mad loving here. Yeah, it's a lot of love, but it's a lot of hate, too, to come on my name, Mo stated. Yeah, I hear you. I'm about to grab Chow. You coming? Joey asked. Chow? Like food? Mo asked. Yeah, if you can even call it that. But if you don't eat now, next meal ain't till late, Joey said. Mo's stomach rumbled. It had been two days since he had eaten. He hopped up from his cot. Lead the way. Mo walked out of the bunk and joked with Joey the entire way to the common area where breakfast was served. Joey's going to get killed at some point. He's going to get stabbed up and Mo's going to be over him like, no! Bruh, you really eat this? Mo asked as he grabbed a tray and he turned his face up in disgust. He was accustomed to a standard of living and the slop that was being thrown on his plate was far beneath it. As he eyed the runny stuff that resembled eggs and pinched the bread that appeared stale, his stomach turned. I ain't eating this, Mo said. Joey shook his head. That's what everybody say until they stomachs start touching their back. Bruh, your stomach ain't never touch your back, Mo teased jokingly, all in good fun as Joey laughed. Fuck you, nigga, Joey said in between chuckles. They cursed like sailors, partly because they could, and partly because it made them feel like grown men. Joey eased into a seat, but before Mo could sit down, Roach entered the commons. Here go this pussy-looking motherfucker right here. He was always loud, always attracting too much attention. Mo was slowly learning his characteristics and knew they weren't going to vibe. It would be a long sentence living in the same space with this kid. Roach stepped right up to Mo. We got a star in here. Hey, y'all, this Monroe Diamond, Roach announced in grand fashion. The sarcasm wasn't missed as Roach gave Mo a slow, hard round of applause. Mo's jaw tightened as he stood toe-to-toe -to -toe with Roach. 
Roach was two inches taller than Mo, but size never mattered to Mo. The adage was true in his book. The bigger they were, the harder they fell. You think you hard? Roach taunted. I don't care who your daddy is, little nigga. Fuck all that cartel shit. Them niggas done. Everybody know that shit is over. Miami for everybody, nigga. And your family fell to fuck off. My daddy used to be out there and he said your people wouldn't let nobody eat. Shit done changed now. Cartel don't run shit no more. As a matter of fact, your punk ass don't eat shit in this bitch unless I say you can eat. Since your people want to starve niggas out there, I say you starving here. Roach smacked Moe's tray out of his hands, sending food flying all over the cafeteria. Roach was grandstanding. Testing Moe's gangster, and Moe gritted his teeth to control his temper, because he knew in this moment he had to take the L. The kid was older than him by at least three years. He loomed over Moe menacingly, waiting for him to accept the challenge so he could give Moe the fade. Moe wouldn't allow himself to fall for the trap. He was outnumbered and outsized, and even though there wasn't an ounce of fear in him, he wasn't stupid. He didn't fight battles he couldn't win, at least not directly. He would have to go for the smart victory, and if he jumped stupid right now, they would drag him simply because the numbers were on their side. He knew Joy wasn't jumping in to help get some of Roach's crew off his back, so he was on his own. Walk away, he told himself. A loud whistle blew as a guard looked over in their direction. Break it up, shut it up, and clean it up, he yelled sternly. Now, or I'm writing infractions. Mo put his hands up in temporary defeat. You got it, he conceded. His mouth said the words, but his feet didn't move. He wasn't walking away until Roach did. If his father had ever taught him anything, he had taught him this. He knew better than to turn his back on his enemy. I know I got it, the kid boasted as he strolled away, continuing to loudmouth with his friends along the way. Mo knew he looked like a sucker, but he would have the last laugh. He would simply bide his time and wait for the opportunity to present itself. When it was time to get even, he would know it. But until then, he had to just stay out of the way. He bent down to clean up the mess. A guard came up behind him. Get a mop from the kitchen. Mo stood, slightly perturbed that he was the one cleaning up when it was Roach who had made a mess and caused a scene. He was trying to keep his head down, however, so he held his protest as he found his way to the kitchen. It was empty, as all the boys on kitchen duty were now serving the food. He grabbed an old mop and then hesitated when he saw the mess of dishes waiting to be cleaned in the sink. He rushed over and searched for a knife, but found none. He had no time to mess around and found the first thing he could find, a fork. He looked around to see if any eyes were on him, and when he was sure that the coast was clear, he tucked it in his waistline, then rushed back out to clean before he aroused suspicion. You good? Joey asked when Mo returned to the table. Mo sat, silently plotting his next move. Yeah, I'm good, he said. The growl in his stomach matched the growl in his heart. <laughs> the growl in his stomach matched the growl in his heart, and he stood to his feet. He leaned over Joey. I need you to do me a favor, Mo stated. The look in Mo's eyes told Joey that he didn't want to be a part of it, but it also told Joey that he didn't have a choice. They were bunkmates, and Mo was the first person who treated him with respect. I'm going to put some heart in you yet, Mo said as he walked away, headed for his bunk. Mo sat in the back of the class, half listening as he looked at the back of Joey's head in the front row. The state tried to make the juvenile detention center a positive environment by providing classroom instruction. It was going to make Mo a productive member of society and give him a tool he could use towards success. At least that was a speech the entrance counselor had given him when enrolling him. Mo only signed up because Roach participated solo.
His goon squad hadn't passed the aptitude test to enroll with him, so every day for an hour, Roach was separated from his pack. Roach sat on the other side of the classroom, a few rows up from Mo. Mo had made sure he walked in late, so that Roach wouldn't notice his presence until it was too late. The woman who taught the course rattled off facts and statistics up front, but Mo was retaining none of it. He had come for one reason, and one reason only, to make an example out of Roach. Oddly, he wasn't rattled. He didn't feel an ounce of nervousness as he sat, with his eyes fixed on his enemy, as he felt the fork rub against his arm. It was covered by the sleeve of his shirt, and Mo waited patiently to put it to use. Don't back out on me, Mo thought as he waited for Joy to play his part. He had to stop himself from laughing when Joy fell dramatically from his chair and began convulsing on the floor. That nigga is an actor, Mo thought as he created a scene that was straight out of a movie. If Mo didn't know better, he would have thought the kid was having a seizure. Oh my god, I need help, I need help in here. Mo had timed it perfectly. There was a small window of opportunity where the guards switched shifts and the classroom went uncovered. The teacher looked around in dismay. It was against protocol to send a juvenile out of the classroom without an escort, and Mo could see from the look on her face that she didn't know what to do. The other boys had started to circle around Joey, who was still on the floor, going for broke. He'd even rolled his eyes in the back of his head for good measure. I'll be back. I'm going to get help, the teacher said as she rushed out of the room. When she was gone, Mo stood and turned the lock on the door and walked up behind Roach, who was standing with the crowd. He slid the fork out of his sleeve, and before Roach could react, Mo stabbed him with it, repeatedly jamming it into his side hard and forcefully. So, okay, they're in the back of the classroom. I'm closing my eyes and picturing this, and Joey's in the front of the classroom. And Joey falls out and starts convulsing. And the teacher leaves out the door. And everybody crowds around Joey to look at him. And Mo went to the back of the classroom. And then walked up behind Roach. Is the door in the front or the back? I'm, I know this isn't a big thing, but it's a big thing to me. I'm sorry. Anyhow, the nigga got stabbed with a fork. And that shit hurts. My dad used to stab me in the elbows with forks when I put my elbow on the table. And forks leave marks, people. They're still sharp. Also, I still put my elbow on the table because fuck that dude. Ah! Roach yelled as he fell to his knees. Mo stood and to a surprise, Joey did too as they mashed him out and the other boys instigated the attack. Who you gonna starve, huh? Mo said as he stomped Roach's head and face relentlessly. The two boys beat Roach ruthlessly until the guards burst into the room, popping the lock off the door to answer. Mo didn't stop and Joey didn't either. Roach had the beatdown coming. None of the other boys intervened because at one point or another, Roach had made them victims too. This was revenge for them all, and by the time the guards pulled Mo and Joey off Roach, he was a bloody mess. Every time I see you, I'm mashing you. It's on sight. Talking about shit done and ain't nothing changed. This car's held forever. Don't play with me, Mo shouted. He had never been so angry. He saw red and he lunged for Roach repeatedly, making the guards work for their paychecks so they could hardly contain him. Mo was in rare form. He didn't know he would explode like that, but as soon as he pressed go, it was hard to stop himself. He was so full of anger that he took it out on Roach. Some of it hadn't been meant for him, but Roach caught the brunt of it anyway. The guards pinned him face down on one of the desks and pried the fork from his hands. He had dug into Roach's body so deep that it had bent. He hadn't killed the kid, but it wasn't for lack of trying. 
Joey was pinned on the desk across from him, and they were cut before they were thrown into solitary. How long do you think we're going to be in here? Joey asked, talking through the closed door of the torturous cell. Oh no, but it was worth it, Moe replied. Yo, your big ass was wiggling like a mug on that floor, Moe yelled out with laughter. Then, when you got up and mob dude with me, that was real. For real, until the day I get out of here, I got your back, man. I know you scared her, dude, so that showed a lot of loyalty. Watch what I tell you. Now that you showed you not a punk, ain't nobody gonna try you no more. Joey was quiet for a while, as an awkward silence filled the air. Thanks, Mo, Joey finally said. Mo didn't respond. He simply turned in the cell and took in his new quarters. It was so small that Mo almost couldn't breathe. The air was thick and hot. The concrete slab that he was expected to sleep on was covered in a wet puddle from the leaky ceiling above it. He extended his arms out and touched the walls on both sides of him. That's how tight the space was. He sighed, but still he had no regrets. Mo didn't care how long they left him in there, because when he came out, he would have his respect. He had watched every man in his life carry themselves like a boss. There were no workers in the Diamond family. Every one of the men in his life held a position of power, and he wouldn't allow Roach or anyone else to ever chump him. His pride wouldn't let him, and his bloodline didn't call for it. Mo and Joey sat in confinement for six weeks. God damn! God damn! Like, oh no! That's how you make six weeks pass. I bet six weeks have passed for everybody else too. I wonder if we find out how CJ's uh, fight went. Six weeks though? God damn, that's a lot of money! Mo and Joey sat in confinement for six weeks before they were released back into the general population of the juvenile center. Mo didn't forget his threat, however. He didn't make empty promises, so on his first day out, he spotted Roach, and it was war on sight. He mashed him again, with Joey never leaving him hanging. Joey never started a fight, but he wouldn't let Mo finish it alone, and together, they were carted right back to the hole. They made it through, however, with conversations through closed doors. Sometimes, they talked about everything, with Mo reminiscing about what his father and uncles were like. Other days, they talked about nothing at all playing dumb games and making bets on which bugs on the dirty floor would crawl the fastest. They survived, and a strong friendship was formed amid the fire. It was one they wouldn't soon abandon. Chapter 8 Carter grew frustrated as he got the voicemail for the fifteenth time. Breeze, call me back, he whispered harshly into the phone, knowing that the feds most likely had her lines tapped. He never left messages for fear of her being targeted as an accomplice and or abetting a fugitive. He had grown so worried and frustrated he had to leave a message, feeling like he had no choice. He hadn't been able to reach Breeze, who he thought was caring for his son. This was making him uneasy. He had been calling her phone for the past three days and hadn't heard anything back. This isn't like her, he thought as he looked at his phone in disbelief. All types of negative thoughts began to run through his mind. He knew the feds had made an impromptu visit to her home, but he had assumed they were on a fishing expedition. They shouldn't have been able to pin anything on Breeze. They had kept her cleanest of them all. Did they dig up enough evidence to arrest her? Did one of my old enemies come back for revenge? You mean like Ileana's parents or brother, whoever it was, who probably heard through the grapevine that y'all didn't really die and that y'all faked your own death and for some reason you came back from where you were hiding out at you mean him oh no all right just check he sat on the bench of the emperor's property and watched the birds swoop down and fed off the bird seeds scattered on the pavement 
He looked just across the property and saw Brick, Millie, and Ghost playing a game of golf while smoking cigars and conversing. They offered for him to participate, but his frequent chest pains or worries of his family wouldn't allow him to join in on the festivities. He had other things on his mind, like Ghost's assurance that he could pull strings and make his problems go away. He couldn't wait to hit the streets again and create favor with Ghost and his partners. The promise that Ghost had made about helping with me and more was enough reason for him to sneak back into the U.S. and begin to make things shake on his old stomping grounds. Feel like having a little company? Anari asked as she stood behind the bench. Carter quickly twisted around and looked at her. He didn't even notice her creep up behind him. Sure, why not? Carter said as he scooted over to one side of the bench, giving her room to sit and join him. She quickly sat next to him and looked on at the others continuing their golf game. Carter reached into the bird food dispenser that was to the right of him and then tossed the seeds to the ground. There's something about this guy I just don't trust, Inari said as she squinted her eyes and focused on Ghost. What do you mean, Carter said calmly, trying to understand Inari's angle. It just seems kind of odd for something this powerful and it's only niggas in the room. That doesn't seem strange to you, she asked. I was thinking the same shit, to be honest, Carter confessed as he looked around. He knew that when there was money, a white guy in a suit wasn't far away. It was a way of America, to be quite honest. Anari repositioned her body so she was facing him directly and looked around before she began to talk. She spoke in an exasperated whisper. We have to be honest about the entire situation. Call a spade a spade. There's something that he isn't telling us, and I want to find out what it is. Anari's tone was full of incredulity as she continued her theories. Is there more money being made that we don't know about? Yes, nigga, y'all only getting $25 million each. I don't understand why even the business. It's $25 million. That's it. Y'all ain't getting a lot. Like, you know this is going to be a billion-dollar industry. Y'all working for corporations, and y'all don't even know it. Y'all ain't even know. Hmm. Is there more money being made? Is this nigga the feds trying to suck us back in, only to give us all life sentences? So many fucking thoughts. I haven't slept comfortably since they snatched us. I don't think he's the feds. The nigga moves too smooth, to be honest. He's not a cop. I'm almost sure of it. I can smell him from a mile away, and he's not that. Yet, I do feel the same way. We don't know everything. But sometimes, that's not necessarily a bad thing, you know? True, true, Anari added. Maybe some of us have no choice but to take this offer. The stakes are different for everyone, Carter said, indirectly letting Anari know that he had no more options. While others' motivation may have been money or an escape from the drug game, his was much more. He was fighting to get his family back, and this is the only option on the chessboard. Anari nodded as she was reading his mind. She saw the pain in his eyes and knew that he was going forward with the proposition no matter what. On the other hand, she wanted to know more. It was the boss in her that demanded a clear understanding before she dove in head first. Only time would tell. Carter was sleeping in his suite and it was just past 2 a.m. It was the last night of their stay in India and the eve of their massive takeover. The following months would be them setting up shops in various cities in the U.S. and releasing the Reby drug onto the streets. Carter's issued cell phone began to buzz, which woke him up out of his light slumber. He slowly rolled over and watched as the phone buzz and the screen lit up. He sat up, wiped his eyes and reached to grab the phone. When his eyes could finally focus, he saw that it was a message from Ghost. It read, Urgent. Come over. I have something very important to discuss with you. It can't wait until the morning.
Carter frowned in confusion, wondering what it could be that was so important that it demanded his presence in the wee hours of the night. Carter's heart began to race, and he wondered whether Ghost had anything new on Mia Moore and her case, or if it was something wrong with his family, who he hadn't been able to get a hold of. So many things were going through his mind at that very moment. He didn't know what to think, but he did know that he had to go and find out. He quickly slipped on some clothes and headed out across the field where Ghost was. He saw the small via from afar and noticed that the inside light was on, which made it look like a lighthouse on land. Carter approached the via and knocked on the door, but to his surprise, the door pushed open when he made contact. Hello, Ghost? Carter said as he pushed the door completely open. He slowly stepped in, looking for Ghost. He grew more suspicious by the second as he crept in and looked around. Ghost, he repeated as he stepped a few feet inside the house. He noticed someone else move across the room and looked closer and saw it was Inari. She held a bloody knife and was standing over a bloody body that lay sprawled on the ground. What the? Carter whispered as he inched closer, only to realize that it was Ghost lying there in a pool of blood. The maroon-colored puddle began to make a small river that traveled slowly across the hardwood. The smell of blood invaded Carter's nostrils. Carter looked at the corpse in disbelief, and then he looked up at Hanari, who was breathing heavily with Ghost's cell phone in her left hand and the bloody knife in the other. Hanari had an emotionless expression on her face as she stepped over the body and looked Carter square in the eye. We need to talk, Hanari said as she walked past him and into the kitchen area. She sat down the phone and began to wash her hands over the sink, rinsing the blood off her hands and knife as it flowed into the drain. She took deep and slow breaths as she closed her eyes for extended amounts of time, trying to remain calm. The fuck did you do? Carter asked the harsh reality began to set in. She had just killed the only chance he had at getting Mia Moore back. He stormed over to her and grabbed her by both the shoulders, twisting her around to face him. He aggressively jerked her after she didn't respond. You don't know how you just fucked my life up, he said as he clenched his jaw tightly and the veins in his forehead and temple began to protrude. His eyes were becoming bloodshot red and water began to form as well. Pinch, pinch that shit, pinch the, the bridge of your nose, my nigga. First, get your motherfucking hands off me before I put you to sleep next, Anari said calmly with the small but sharp kitchen knife still in her hand. Carter looked down and saw the sharp object just inched away from his gut. He then shook his head in disbelief and unleashed her. He placed both of his hands on his head and began to pace the room, knowing that Inari had just ruined any chance of normalcy that he possibly had. You shouldn't have done this. Why? Why? He asked as he continued to pace the floor. He did this to himself. I came over to talk to him about the truth and he denied it at first, Inari said as she put down the knife realizing that Carter wasn't her enemy. She then made her way back towards the body. She knelt and picked up a small laptop that was a few feet from the dead body. The computer had been tossed to the floor after she showed him what was on it. There was a little bit of blood splatter on it from the incident, so Inari wiped it off and then walked back towards Carter. She flipped open the computer and typed in a few things before she gave it to Carter. She had an email open and clicked an inbox message. This is what I showed him, and he completely flipped out and tried to go for his gun once I told him what I knew. I told him I would tell the rest of you, and that's when he tried to kill me. But I had a knife tucked that I swiped from the kitchen. I poked him a few times, and I guess I hit an artery, because he was gone within a minute. He bled out like a pig, she described. She then handed him the envelope. Envelope? What envelope? 
small laptop that was a few feet from the body, handed it toward him, stabbed him like a pig, handed him an envelope. The fuck? Envelope? I need to talk. Go cell phone in her left hand, bloody knife in the other. Wash her hands over the sink. Fuck did you do? You just fucked my life up. I'll kill you too, whatever, whatever. Picked up a small laptop. The computer had been tossed to the floor. Uh, she wiped it off. She had an email open and clicked an inbox message. What envelope? You could say she handed him a envelope, but not the envelope. Like we know about the envelope previously. I had to check and see. My bad, y'all. Not really. This is my show. I can do what the fuck I want. Carter frowned as he tried to make sense of it all, but he was lost. This isn't making too much sense right now. What is this? And what were you threatening to tell us? What am I looking at? He asked as he held up the laptop and watched the video start to play on the screen. Two white lab rats were running around what seemed to be a complicated maze. A camera was set in each corner and switched views every time the rodents got close to him. Look closely, she said as she nodded her head once more, urging him to discover what she already knew. Carter placed the laptop on the countertop and looked closely. Anari watched along and began to peel back the layers of truth. I knew something was up. I knew it. So, while we were in the warehouse being briefed, I snuck in and swiped one of the flowers. You would think they'd have better security on that shit. If that's their bread and butter, you would think they, you know, keep eyes out on that motherfucker. Before anyone even noticed it, I slipped it in my pocket. I then sent it home to a scientist I know and asked him to test it for me. I explained the entire process. I told him specifically how it was broken down and created. He copied the process, breaking it down to its rawest form. He then gave it to lab rats and observed them closely for a week. What he found was mind-blowing. This drug did everything the ghost had promised. First, it gave the rats an extreme rush so they were excited, running around the maze and interacting with each other. The second phase was the aphrodisiac stage, and the lab rats began to become very sexually active and frisky, Anari said as she pointed to the rats on the screen. She paused the video that was showing the rats climbing on top of one another, gyrating rapidly. They were obviously in a state of heightened sexual arousal. She looked at Carter, who was still frowning, trying to understand. I know. He told us this is what the drug did already. We learned everything that you're telling me already. I'm not understanding how this is relevant to what we have. No, excuse me, what he had going on. Also, I'm not understanding how she found a fucking mailbox. Okay, so you stole the flower, which again, whatever. You stole the flower. And then you shipped it? UPS? Did you crumple it up and put it in an envelope? Where'd you find an envelope? Did you walk? To the post office or did they come to the compound and get it? And where'd you get a stamp from? How many stamps did it take to get from where you are to where you sent it to? A lot of questions. You fucked up big time, Carter added again as he looked over at Ghost's body and then again at Anari. He clenched his jaw tightly and shook his head in cynicism. But peep this. This two hours later, she said as she sped up the video and jumped ahead a little. Carter looked closely at the video and noticed the rats beginning to act strangely. They began to have sporadic twitches and run into the walls of the mazes, displaying their lack of memory. Carter watched slowly as the rats frantically ran through the maze, stopping and smelling and nibbling at every corner. They continued to do it, and it became clearer as to what was going on. The rats were looking for something. 
As you can see, they're searching for something. Remind you of anything? Anari said. At that moment, Carter began to understand that they were fiending for the product. It reminded him of the effect of crack. The rats were in dire need of the very drug that was eating them alive. Are they tweaking? He asked as he stared closely and watched as the rats kept sniffing every corner, even the same places twice. Bingo, she said in a low tone as she watched right along with them. Sound familiar, right? They're acting like crackheads, he said as the picture started to become clearer to him. That's right. This is exactly what they did to us in the 80s. They created a drug and put it in our community so it could break down our families and put our men in jails. The cornerstones of our community were all being locked up in the box, a blow that we still haven't recovered from. Then the 13th Amendment was implemented, making it legal to make us slaves again using mass incarceration. This shit is deep, Anari said as chills began to go up her arm and behind her neck. Carter felt the same chills at the very same time as the harsh secrets began to show themselves. She continued, I knew something was wrong with all the targeted places that had one thing in common. They were all areas with a high number of African Americans and impoverishment. They were using us to repeat what had happened in the Reagan era, Anari continued to explain more in depth. Anari pressed play and let the tape run. It was a lapsed time video showing the rats moving frantically for an extended amount of time. They even began to fight and snap at each other out of frustration over not being able to find the drug. They both watched as the rats began to fight and fight until eventually one of them killed the other. The second rat eventually died, not being able to recover from the fight with one of its own. This is literally our community in a nutshell, Inari added. Reaganomics, Carter said as chills went up his spine once again, thinking about how deep the elaborate scheme was. Okay, so should I break in now? Nope, nope, I'm going to let it keep going. But y'all already know what I'm going to say. Right. If you remember correctly, a few people from the community got rich in a short period of time when crack hit the scene. But in return, the low-level dealers were all tossed in jail, getting more time than murderers and rapists. Mothers were forced to raise kids on their own, and doing that with the crack addiction was detrimental. It tore down an entire generation and set us back years. We're merely pawns and we're positioned to handicap our own people, Anari said. This is some heavy shit, Carter said in disbelief as he folded his arms and leaned on the sink. His mind was completely blown. If you remember correctly, they marked the suburban areas in the country as no-fly zones, making sure they never touch white America. The writing is on the wall. They tried to play us. They even got that token nigga ghost to lead us to our own demise, Denari stated. Okay. Okay. So, the big problem with this whole thing, which... Sure, yeah. History lesson Reaganomics. Okay, yeah, sure, whatever. I don't know where the fuck that came from in this book. Why it popped up, whatever. Like, you know what? In this book, we're going to talk about Reaganomics. We're going to talk about what the government did to the community and how crack messed up the community and all that kind of shit. Nigga, y'all sell drugs in the community. Y'all are the predators. Why are you mad? A word? That's what we doing? That's what this drug's gonna do? So it's gonna get people real high, real euphoric, get them real focused, and it's gonna bring them crashing down, they're gonna look for more. Okay, why are y'all worried about it? That's what y'all deal anyway, right? Right, okay, y'all deal heroin. You deal crack. 
You deal the drugs. So why is this an affront? Oh, I killed this nigga because he's making a drug that's just like the drug we already selling. But it's different though because he's only selling in the black communities. Nigga, are you dealing drugs in Idaho? Are you in South Dakota up in them Minnow streets? Are you in Montana going by horseback to slang yayo to the motherfucking white people in Bozeman? No, the fuck you ain't. Y'all niggas is in the black communities dealing drugs. You ain't been worried about white folks not never, not one bit until you found out that this drug does what your drugs already do and now you feel insulted enough to try and stab a nigga. And the nigga tried to pull a gun on you because he found out what? That you knew that the drug did what you thought the drug did but that nigga was gonna get addicted to it? Regardless of the situation, niggas were gonna be addicted to a high that did all that shit for them. They were gonna keep coming back and they were gonna leave legalize it why are we killing people now me on the other hand i could be insulted because i don't deal drugs in the community but you know what you do you deal drugs in the community and then you want to come in here sound like black dynamite and shit nigga shut the fuck up get the fuck out of my face with that bullshit y'all trying to sound all high and mighty the nigga who wrote this book i watched his goddamn interview jaquavis sold drugs to the fucking community allegedly and then got caught up by the cops and threw the dope away. And Ashley found the dope. And instead of taking it to the cops, flushing it or anything like it, she held on to the dope and then brought it back to him. And y'all talking about Reaganomics and how this is a blot on the community. Nigga, y'all live in Flint. I don't know no white people who live there. None. Not a single one. <sighs> Miss me. They set this play up beautifully. Who are they, though? They did this perfectly. I don't know who they are, but they did it. They did that shit. They. Who are they, though? Carter asked. He rubbed the bottom of his chin and squinted his eyes, trying to fully understand. Damn, that made Carter sound stupid. Right there. That made him sound real dumb. You right. You right. They fucking with the wrong one. But who are they, though? Mongo don't know. Mongo only pawn. In Game of Life. The government. I did more research and look what I found, Inari said just before she messed with the mouse and keyboard and opened another inbox. She then opened the link and showed Carter what was on the screen. A picture of a man popped up and the headline read, Corruption in Politics. Politician arrested for conspiracy to use federal funding for personal use. Take a closer look at the picture, Inari instructed. Carter looked closely and thought the man looked familiar, but couldn't really put a face to the name. It's Ghost. Look, she said as she placed her hand over the laptop screen, covering half of the man's face. This is what he looked like before the plastic surgery, Anari explained. Carter looked closely and saw that she was right. It was Ghost without the skinny nose and thin lips that he possessed at that moment. They were being used as a pawn to recruit and persuade us. We all got played. They probably offered him a deal in return for him recruiting us, Inari insisted. Carter shook his head and buried his face in his hands. They probably were going to set us up to get nabbed as soon as we got the drugs in our community. And it could begin to sell itself. At that point, they wouldn't need us anymore. I have something else to show you, Inari said as she walked over by the body and grabbed the envelope that was on the floor. Wait, what? Didn't she give him the envelope? Let me go back, because 
before y'all started talking all this extra credit shit. Yeah, she handed that nigga an envelope after she said that he bled out like a pig. So why is it on the floor? Did he drop it in shock? Oh, no. Oh, no. This is what else I found, she said. Carter sat up as she walked over and handed him the envelope. He looked inside and then pulled out the small stack of papers. As he turned the pages, he saw pictures of himself, Inari, Brick, and Millie, all with their personal information listed. Age, height, weight, and a list of family members. He looked at his, and they had listed everyone he had contact with over the last seven years. He then looked at the top heading, and he read, FBI Most Wanted. Not all of the most wanted make it to the headlines. They keep stuff like this top secret to avoid alerting people that they're watching closely, waiting for them to slip. A simple phone call to the authorities, and they would have been on us like white on rice. They were setting us up for our own downfall. They just needed us to penetrate the slums for them. This shit is crazy. Yeah, it's inconceivable, but you don't know what this opportunity just cost me. It cost me everything, Carter said as he shifted his focus back to his family. There's more than one way to skin a cat. No one knows Ghost is dead. Let's go through his notes and study them closely. We have to use him as a pawn just as he attempted to use us. I know about your wife. I think I know how to help. I have his phone, so that means I have his connections. I don't believe he truly knew that he was just a puppet as well. All his business was worked through his cell phone, and he probably didn't know exactly who he worked for. I'm going to continue to communicate with his partners and see how we can work everything into our favor, she said as she nodded confidently. Oh my God, y'all can't see how hard my eyes just rolled. My eyes rolled so hard that now my chest hurts, because my chest feels like that it knows something's up. Like, this is some stupid ass shit. Y'all don't give a fuck about the community. Y'all don't give a fuck about nothing, my niggas. So why are y'all so insulted that this nigga is... Yes, crack came through the government. The government flooded the community with crack. Watch Snowfall, because it's an excellent show. But watch Snowfall, my niggas. The first season, uh, I could do without the parts with Fred Teddy. Without Teddy and and, and the Mexican lady, Lucia, and, and the wrestler. I could do without all of that. But shit, it's on Netflix and Hulu. Now, skip past they parts. It's inconsequential. Watch Snowfall, my nigga. That show was dope as fuck. When Franklin is there, the rest of them niggas that aren't, the, the, the folks who ain't black, basically, they can be without the show. But the rest of the show, yeah, Mwah, perfect. It's about how the government got drugs into the community. But you know what else? Y'all talking about the low-level drug dealers that are uh, in your organizations, the low-level drug dealers that are going to jail for years, and then the 13th Amendment uh, is is being implemented, making it legal to use us as slaves again, using mass incarceration, and and all that shit. Okay, cool. Cool. But you know what? Ain't near one of y'all motherfuckers low-level drug dealers. You're sitting on the corner with billions of dollars. Talking about, man, they doing them niggas that get $50 an hour wrong. Not even thinking about the niggas who are getting, like, Fourteen twenty-five an hour. You're not even thinking that far down. You're like, man, them poor niggas is only getting fifty dollars an hour. They getting fucked over by the government. This is horrible. A few people 
from the community got rich in a short period of time when crack hit the scene. But in return, the low-level dealers were all tossed in jail. Let's see, when the cartel got hit, all the workers got tossed in jail. When Ace snitched, all the workers got tossed in jail. While Estes and Carter and Money and Zaire were just fucking fine. And you want to tell me that you feel some sort of way that the low-level workers are going to jail because Ghost had a video? Or you sent a video? This shit don't make no goddamn sense. This whole thing doesn't make sense. It's all permeable. I can shoot holes straight through it. Where are you going with this? Like, this was supposed to be your big round table of bosses thing, and now... You're setting this up to be some sort of espionage shit? Like, oh, we know that they're making a drug that's going to harm the community. Oh, you mean like heroin? Stupid fuckers. 916-633-1537. Ratchetandratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Leave a review on uh, Spotify. It only takes 13 seconds at most. Leave a review on Podchaser, copy and paste that into the Apple Podcast, copy and paste that into Good Pods. Um, you can donate to the show at patreon.com slash single simulcast or at buymeacoffee.com slash sscast or on the Good Pods app. Uh, every donation goes towards buying books like this. And <laughs> I mean, I'm so sincere. I ain't paying for these motherfuckers. Um, or for buying movies for hindsight, or for buying shows for the RTO Podcast Network, TV shows. Thank y'all so much for listening. Y'all be good. I'm going to holler you later. Peace. Outro to Ratchet Book Club is by that kid Garan and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is Single Simulcast. <laughs>